We're looking together today at Romans chapter 9. Said and done. 
Father, I pray that you would help us all together to yield ourselves that we might be pleasing to you, that we might be in the very center of your will. And may that be so in regards to the invitation time. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. This passage is not an easy passage. It is one that, even though it is a difficult passage, I felt the need to deal with. I believe it is my responsibility as pastor to deal with all the Word of God. And it is for that reason that I wanted to deal with this passage. The first portion of this passage that I dealt with last Sunday evening, we have on tape. And if you feel that you've come in sort of in the middle, uh, you're welcome to hear the first part of this on tape. Now we begin by making a simple statement. This statement is this. Faith, not heredity, is the eternal principle of sonship. Now if you don't understand that, I will explain what I'm saying. Faith is the way a person becomes a child of God. It does not have to do with heredity. You do not become a child of God spiritually by being a Jew. Now this is what this passage initially had to do with. The Jews believed that they were in good shape because they were Abraham's descendants. Because they were the children of Abraham. In terms of today, we might say if my mom or my dad is a Christian, that makes me all right just because my mom or dad is a Christian. But if we understand the Word of God, we know that that isn't so. There are people today who are saying something along that line. There are people today who are saying that everyone is a child of God. And I guess in a physical sense that's true. But we need to become a child of God spiritually as well. And that takes place through faith. Another thought in this area would be to say that if I attend church or I become a member of a church 
that I am in good shape. But it takes more than church attendance or church membership to become a child of God, spiritually speaking. One might say, I'm an American, therefore I'm a Christian. How many of you saw Treasure Island not too long ago on TV? I saw part of it and I saw good old Ben Gunn. If you've read the story, you're familiar with Ben Gunn. Ben Gunn says, I haven't heard a Christian voice in all these years that I was marooned on this island. A Christian voice. Well, he was taking that term rather loosely. It takes more than these things to be a child of God. And faith, not heredity, is the way that you become a child of God. Now there are a couple of examples that are given in this passage that we read today of the truth. The first example, an example that faith, not heredity, is the way that you become a child of God is found in verses 7 through 9. The Jews were saying, we are Abraham's seed. Oh, there was a lot of controversy in that time about who was Abraham's seed. And I believe we still have that controversy today as we look to Palestine. We have descendants of Abraham, descendants of Isaac, who say, we are Abraham's seed. Then on the other hand, there are those who are Ishmaelites, who say, we are Abraham's seed. And if there are any descendants of Abraham from his wife, a lady in life, after Sarah died, and he took Keturah as his wife, if there are any of those around, they are saying, we are Abraham's seed. But Paul says, very simply, that Abraham's seed in the sense in which he is speaking about it has to do with those who are in a sense the descendants of Isaac who is the promised son and those who were Israelites were descendants of Abraham, but they were not Abraham's seed. And those who were descendants from Keturah were Abraham's descendants indeed, but they were not the seed of Abraham. Now, 
the whole problem, or part of the problem, comes about in the fact that the Jews look at this whole picture and they say, well now, we are Abraham's seed, and the reason we're Abraham's seed is because we are descendants of Isaac. We are descendants from Sarah. And the argument goes on. But Paul says very clearly in verse 8 here that faith, not flesh, is the principle that God goes by in regards to those who become children of God. And we get on down to the place where we have to say that ultimately the promise of God does not have to do even with Isaac in the flesh, but it has to do with Jesus Christ and those who put their faith and their trust in Him. And so faith is the factor that is important. That example is to say very simply this. Not the descendants of Abraham from Keturah, nor the descendants of Abraham from Ishmael, Hagar, not these are the ones who are the seed of Abraham, but he makes it clear that the children of God are the children of the promise. Those of Isaac that have to do with faith, not with flesh. Then he says in verse 10, and not only this, now what he is saying by these words is simply this, not only this or not only that, not only this is so, but I have another example to share with you to point out the truth that I am stating. That is, that faith, not heredity, is the way one becomes a child of God. That's the principle. Now, in the second example, in verses 10 through 13, he mentions Jacob and Esau. And as they sometimes say, the plot thickens. The waters get deeper. And it becomes a little more difficult to understand. But let us go on. First of all, 
as he mentions Jacob and Esau, he says that Jacob and Esau were born of the same parents. They both had the same parents. So he says, we'll put that other argument aside that you have been making, the Jews make today, and many others, that we are the descendants of Abraham, and he says, we will put that argument aside, and we will look to Jacob and Esau, and, and we see that they are of the same parents. And so you can't argue on that basis anymore. They have the same parents. And then he says something that may be a little bit difficult to follow, but in verse 11 he says, The children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. We'll deal with that phrase right in the middle of the verse, first of all. God's purpose according to election. What is he saying? God works his purpose on the principle of election. God works his purpose on the principle of selection, choice. God's sovereign choice. Now when we think about this word election, there is a verb that is first cousin to this noun election that means in every case in the New Testament where it is used, it means that God chooses for himself. And he says in this verse that he chose before birth. Why? Why did God make that choice before Jacob and Esau were born? So that people could see that faith, not heredity, is the principle of sonship. That faith, not heredity, is the way that we become a child of God. Why did God choose to make it clear that when he chose, he was completely independent? He was completely free, and his choice was sovereign. To make it clear to everyone that God is sovereign, that he can do anything that he chooses to do. And now, if that throws you, let's go on. He chose not on the basis of parentage, for they both had the same parents. He chose not on the basis of character, not on the basis of life, 
For the character was not yet formed, and the life had not yet begun. But he chose on the basis of faith. Now, God did this. He made this distinction on the basis of faith in order that his election purpose might stand. Was saying, well, what about Esau? If that's so, Esau didn't have a chance. You think that's the way it is? That Esau didn't have a chance? I really don't think that's so. That Esau didn't have a chance. But I believe he had a chance. And Esau could have exercised faith. Now, last night, we had a Sunday school officers and teachers banquet. And I can look out over the group this morning and say that there are some here this morning who were not there last night. <laughs> you were invited. Now, I don't know why you came, did not come. I don't know why those came that came, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know why you didn't come, but you didn't come. You were invited. You might say, well, I couldn't come. I had something else that I had to do. You could have canceled what you had to do, couldn't you? You could have. All I'm simply saying is, you received an invitation. Whether you took that invitation or not was your decision. And I say that Esau had a chance, which he did not take. Now the reason I say that is because I believe that it is God's will. It is God's will to save everyone but not everyone will be saved. The reason I say that is because of what the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9. It says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. And I believe that says simply that God wants to save everyone and if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as Savior, God wants to save you. But not everyone will be saved. We look at this and we see, I see two things. I see man's freedom and I see God's sovereignty. Man has freedom. And sometimes man in his freedom says, I want to be saved. And sometimes man, mankind, says, no, that's not for me. I'll have none of that. I want to live my life as I please and go on 
in his way. And we see on the other side that God in his sovereignty and in his foreknowledge chose those that he knew would put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Now as we look further at verse 11, we see it says in the last part, salvation is not of works, but of him that calls. Now I believe the Bible teaches that God calls everyone. And those that respond in faith will be saved. When we look to the New Testament, we see in all the New Testament seven times this word that is translated here, election, is found. Four times it is found in the book of Romans. Romans 9, 11, and chapter 11, verses 5 and 7 and 28. Most of the time it is found, it is found in Romans. And when we think about election, we can say a couple of things. Election is always only in Jesus Christ through faith. Election is God's selective purpose in Christ for the salvation of mankind. It's on the basis of faith. And it's on the basis of foreknowledge. As we think about God's purpose, and I shared this last Sunday night, and I mentioned this again because I think that it is important. God thought about this. We think about this in terms of deliberation. When we think about God's will, the word you, you will find again and again in commentaries is the word deliberation. God deliberated. He thought about this. And after he had deliberated, he determined what he was going to do. He made a decision as to what he was going to do. I said very simply last Sunday evening that God could have saved everyone. Couldn't he? Or God could have saved no one. He could have made either choice. But instead, he decided that he would save some. Now think about those three things for just a moment. In thinking about God saving everyone, there are those who say yes I believe in God but they're not willing to pay the price of their life lived for him I know people like that people who are ready to believe in God in a general fashion and they may even go to the point of making a so-called profession of faith in Christ, but they don't ever give their whole life 
the Lord. To me, that says why God would not save everyone. We think about God not saving anyone, and, and we say very simply, in terms of justice, in terms of justice, we deserve hell. Every one of us, none of us deserves to be saved, not one of us. But God, instead of going that route, because of His great mercy and because of His grace, He decided to save some. We see in verse 13 a very difficult verse in understanding. He says, I love Jacob, but I hated Esau. I think that has probably caused a lot of people a lot of difficulty in understanding. I love Jacob, but I hated Esau. I told some that in my study I looked at six or seven commentaries on this passage. I had a great deal of difficulty in digging out these things. Several commentaries said that when he says this, that he is not talking about the man Jacob and the man Esau, but he is talking about the nation. When you turn back to Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, where this quote is taken from, you can see what they're talking about. But I think ultimately we have to include the individual in the whole picture. What does he mean? Does this mean that God actually hated, hated Esau and loved Jacob? I don't believe so. And I will give you the reason why. Let me give you what I think is the meaning. I believe he is saying, I loved Jacob, but I loved Esau less. Jacob I loved, but Esau I loved less. I preferred Jacob more than I did Esau. I'll give you a couple of scriptures. Genesis chapter 29, verses 30 through 33. You want to jot that down, I'll tell you the story. Jacob married two women. They have that these days, can Jacob married Rachel and Leah. And in that passage, it says that Jacob hated Leah. But you know what else it says there? It says Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. And I 
believe that that is the meaning of the word hated in that passage. He loved Leah, but he loved Rachel more. And when it says that he hated Leah, it is saying that he loved Leah less than he loved Rachel. We look to the New Testament. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, there it speaks of following Jesus. And it says, Jesus says, when you follow me, you are to hate your family and to hate your life. Do you hate your family? Any Christian here this morning that hates his family? I really don't think so. There again, I say that what he is saying is, we are to love the Lord first. And we are to give him our life. And it comes to a choice between family and God, we choose God. If it comes to a choice between Jesus and our lives, we choose Jesus. Jesus first and family and life second. What are the grounds for election? Are we to make the ground for election to be love, the emotion of love or hate? I think not. But the grounds for election are foreknowledge and faith. Foreknowledge and faith. And verse 14, we think here for a few moments. If God chooses to do this, we say, if God chooses to do this, someone says to Paul, is God unrighteous? Is God unjust? Is God unfair in his dealings with man? No. Paul says, God forbid that this be so. God is not arbitrary. God does not choose at random or without reason, but he chooses on the basis of foreknowledge and on the basis of faith. And God is absolutely fair in his dealings with man. We'll not continue on from here, and let's deal with this in an invitational way. Let me.
you to join with us again this evening as we continue on in this passage. And let me close the thinking today with this thought. God is absolutely fair. And I say this to you without any doubt in my mind that he is fair. In every case, he is fair. And I say this on a personal level and say that I know that God is fair because he has shown mercy to me and he has shown mercy to you. God has been merciful to each one of us. Let me ask you, consider your age today and ask yourself the question, has God been merciful to me? Oh yes, he has. And as we consider God's mercy, let me urge you today to come and receive his mercy. If you do not know Jesus as Savior, don't presume upon his mercy another day. <coughs> For the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Let's pray.